HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, and I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. We are coming to you today, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza. It's a sunny day here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And we are on the line with a regular guest on The Farm Report, David Haight, the New York State Director of American Farmland Trust. David, welcome to the show. Erin, it's a pleasure to be here with you again. So today we're going to be talking about the the preliminary the prelim. Uh, this is going to be a word that's going to be hard for me to say. I went to the dentist this morning, so like half my mouth is numb. So I may have more 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 fobbles than normal. But the preliminary report for the 2012 Census of Agriculture. Um, so what I want to kind of get clear before we talk a little bit about what we've learned from the report is. Kind of what is the census, what does it include, and, and who's included by it? So, David, maybe you can give us a little sense of um, kind of the background and, and who we're talking about when we talk about, uh, you know, agricultural producers or products or a farm. Sure. Well, so, Erin, the census of agriculture is uh, uh, conducted every five years, um, somewhat similar to the traditional census that, that everyone um, fills out. Um, this is uh, a way to gather information about what's going on on farms uh, and ranches across America. So it's um, primarily conducted through a written survey of uh, farmers across America. And <clears throat> it farmers is a pretty, they define the term farmer pretty broadly. Uh, so it's anybody that sells more than $1,000 in any type of farm product. 
So that's a pretty low threshold. So you could be talking about some pretty small farms that are that are mostly um, uh, you know for personal uh, use and people that are growing food, maybe selling a little bit, but but not really doing it uh, in a big way commercially. And then some of these are are multi million dollar uh, businesses. So there's incredible diversity um, in the census, but it it's generally considered to be one of the most um, authoritative sources of information uh, about what's going on in terms of farmers and farm demographics and farm trends in America. And do you know kind of why why it got started or what was the impetus for beginning to record some of this data? You know, that's a really good question. I think one of the things that we see from the census is, you know, it is collected on a national level, but then it's also uh, broken down at the state and then at the county level as well. So it's really become um, this great resource of information for for farmers, for trade groups, but also for policymakers. People are thinking about laws and budgets really um, as a source of good statistics, um, whether you're talking about a state legislator and what they're doing in Albany or what's going on in Washington. And it's really evolved to become this, um, you know, uh, 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 critical resource for people that are making decisions about agriculture around the country. No, that makes sense. And then one more question of clarification. Can What's the difference between a farmer and a rancher? <laughs> You know, that's a great question. They don't disaggregate between those two in the census of agriculture. So a farmer is a farmer um, in, in regardless of kind of what you're raising and how you're raising it um, for the purposes of the census of agriculture. Um, so that's that's fairly generalized for the census. Um, I guess the one other thing I'll, I'll point out about the limitations of the census, um, the limitation is really good in tracking farmer trends. It's not really good at tracking farmland trends. Uh, so, for example, here in New York, um, you know, back in the late 1800s, we had um, over 17 million acres of land in farming. And if you looked at the census of agriculture today, you'd see that it's closer to 7 million acres today. And so the census can tell you that the farmers say there's, there's less land in farming today. They don't tell you what happened to that additional acreage. And so uh, it's, it's not the best indicator of what's happening to our land, because um, in, in New York, a lot of that reverted into forest. Um, and so it's, it's not always a good tracker of land trends, but it's a really good source of information about what's going on with farmers. And so we're going to be talking today about the preliminary report. So what's not included or included in the preliminary report that's different than the full report, which I think comes out in May, right? Yes, yeah. So the, the full census report, you know, if you have people that love numbers, <laughs> if you have data geeks out there, um, this is a really good place for you. So there are thousands of pages of uh, statistics about uh, farmers and um, um, what race they are, what gender, what ethnicity, how much money they make, how much money they spend, how much land they have, where what they grow. There's so much data um, is going to be released in May, and that will be at the national level, the state level, and at the county level. What we have right now is a very a small piece of that that gives us some snapshot of trends at the national stage um, and at the state level. And so we've got a little piece to nibble on now, but come May, uh, we'll have a lot more. 
So you work for American Farmland Trust, and what would you say, like, for your organization, what are your kind of go-to numbers? What are you guys, like, you know, at the edge of your kind of seats, pressing the refresh button when the report comes out, waiting to kind of (laughs) hear about for your organization? You know, that's a great question, uh, Aaron. Uh, uh, so there's a few things that I think are really telling from the census. Um, I, one, farmers manage a lot of land. Uh, you know, the census tells us that nationally farmers um, manage you know, 900, over 900 million acres of land. Uh, that's almost half the land in America. Uh, so it, their footprint on the landscape is a significant one. Uh, here in New York, it's, it continues to be about a quarter of all the, the land that we have in the state of New York, a little bit over 7 million acres. Uh, so their, their, their ability to help us address things like climate change and water quality issues, because they manage so much land that their farmers are really critical allies in big environmental issues we face. Uh, second, Farmers have a big economic footprint, and it's growing. Uh, we saw nationally that uh, farmers across America sold $395 billion in farm products in t- 2012. That's over a 30% increase from the previous five years. So, again, they do these census every five years. So the 2012 numbers are what was just released. The previous census was uh, in 2007. So a 33% increase while our national economy was struggling Farmers were selling more and more nationally. Here in New York, we saw a 23% increase to uh, almost $5.5 billion in farm products sold by our farmers. Um, So those are the first two. The third is um, a lot of interest nationally in beginning farmers and uh, people that are just getting into agriculture. And one of the interesting trends that we saw nationally, and I think will be fun to explore when the full census comes out, is there was actually a decrease in the number of beginning farmers around the country. Uh, And and nationally, there was a 20% decrease. uh, Here in New York, there was an 11% decrease. Um, So that is a really interesting number, um, um, particularly when you consider the the growing age of most of our farmers. And I guess that's the last trend that maybe I'll I'll touch on, Aaron, that nationally – there was a 7% increase in the farm number of farmers that are over 65. Uh, here in New York, it was almost a 10% increase in the number of farmers that are over 65. Uh, so here, here in New York now, according to these preliminary numbers, roughly uh, almost 30% of all of our farmers in New York are over 65, and you would think are going to be retiring um, and getting out of agriculture in the, the coming years. And so that that is a big uh, demographic trend that the census is pointing us to, and we should be paying a lot of attention to. So, I would assume that some of the some of these numbers then will help kind of direct how you allocate your your organization's resources um, in, in the coming years and as you look forward to do planning. And so, I want to kind of go back and and talk a little bit more into the kind of main points that you outlined. So talking about the amount of land, you know, it sounds like a lot. Half of the U.S. is is in, you know, is owned or is in farms, a quarter of New York State. Um, You know, if I'm looking here at um, 
kind of the the change uh, or what is it the change in land and farms for New York State? It's showing that there was an increase. So is this an issue we don't really have to worry about anymore? Is farmland kind of doing good or or bad? I mean, it's hard for me to under. I think you hear like, wow, all there's this huge volume of land, but is, is that enough? How much is enough? How are we doing in that area? You know, that is a great question, Aaron. Um, and I think the answer is that we are, these numbers, again, the, the land and farms um, uh, category of the census is, in our opinion, not the best source of information about what's happening to our land. Um, for years in New York, we were losing land from um, from uh, active farm use. And, you know, you would look at those numbers and say, where did that land go? And from the census, you just didn't know. And I think a lot of that land um, in New York um, reverted into forest. Uh, there is another source of information called the National Resources Inventory that is also conducted by the United States Department of Agriculture. And that is actually gathered by uh, using satellite uh, photos and um, looking through um, GIS systems. They're able to actually objectively um, uh, determine what's happening to our farmland across America. And so according to that information, we had been, we've lost um, 425,000 acres of farmland to development um, in New York. Um, nationally, since the early 1980s, according to the NRI, we've lost uh, over 23 million acres of farmland to development, about an acre a minute. Uh, nationally. Now, candidly, uh, that wouldn't really make a big difference if it was equally spread across the country or equally spread across New York, but it's not. It, that Those trends are highly concentrated in specific places like the Hudson Valley, uh, eastern Long Island, um, the Finger Lakes and the Lake Ontario Plain area of New York, that there are places where those trends are particularly magnified. And so we really need to be careful about how we interpret these statistics. I'd love to tell you that we're not losing any more farms and that that problem has gone away. It hasn't. It's just that these numbers aren't the best ones to help you fully understand what's going on today. That makes sense. So and when you say that we, you know, we're, we lose farmland, to development or we lose farmland to forestry. Um, I, I'm gonna, I want to start with development. I'm guessing that those regions in New York State that you outlined are, are facing pressures from development because they're closer to high-value urban areas, or, or why is it that you're seeing concentration of farmland loss in those particular spaces? Well, the the two areas, you know, nationally, the American Farmland Trust um, has done studies and identified, you know, areas of the country that are under the most threat. And three areas of New York have always bubbled to the top of those studies, um, the Hudson Valley and eastern Long Island. And <clears throat> the primary reason why those are under threat of development is because their proximity to, you know, the millions of people that are in New York City and people that are moving out of the city or buying second homes, um, but that people, uh, because of that population center, and it's a growing population center, and so that has, you know, been a source of development pressure for decades. <clears throat> the story is very different when you look at 
um, the region that we call the Finger Lakes Lake Ontario Plain. So that's an area from essentially from Albany to Buffalo. And if you were to go, um, you know, drive from Albany and then go west to, to the eastern shores of Lake Erie, incredibly wonderful soils, great um, access to water, the Finger Lakes, the Great Lakes. Um, but what the trend has been up there, they're, they're not uh, growing in terms of populations. Actually, in many cases, they're losing people. Uh, the trend has been people are actually moving out of upstate New York cities onto the farmland in the suburban and rural communities. So cities like Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Schenectady, Albany have been losing people into the surrounding countryside. And it's been that population spread that has really driven the loss of farmland in large areas of upstate New York. And so I feel like one of the challenges with regards to losing farmland to development is that no one is tearing down homes or, or tearing down you know, strip malls to put up a farm. But when you look at forestry, is, it that, is that the same issue? When, when farmland reverts to forestry, I mean, how does that, how does that operationally happen? Is, is the land just abandoned and then trees grow or trees are planted? Or what does that mean? You know, it's a great question. Some of that land probably um, is not as productive. You know, not all land is created equal when it comes to farming, and so some of that land is probably just more marginal and, and maybe wasn't, um, you know, best suited uh, to being in farming. But a fair amount of that land, I would guess, is just the, the circumstance of, you know, farmers not able to make a good living on that land. And as they went out of business and um, nobody was there to take their place, um, you know, the land slowly kind of reverted from active agricultural use to, to you know, some, you know, some brush and some other, um, you know, successional species and then eventually got, you know, taken over by forest. I will say that that, that, that is not, an, that trend is not irreversible. And we see as there's more market opportunities and farmers able to make a better living, uh, you could actually see that land potentially come back into agriculture. And that is, I think, a really, that would be an exciting trend to have land that's appropriate for farming and brought back into agriculture in a thoughtful way, that that would be a real exciting sign of, of success and of opportunity here in New York. Well, David, we are going to take just a short break and we come back. I want to talk a little bit about this 33% increase in, um, you know, farm goods sold. So hang tight. You're tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network, and we'll be right back. Today's music is by Obesity on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. 
One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. All right, we're back. You're tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. We are on the line with David Haight, who's the New York State Director for American Farmland Trust. And we are going over the preliminary report for the most recent um, U.S. Census of Agriculture. So huge increase in, in um, agricultural sales that was shown over this, over this last census period, this last five-year chunk of time. Um, you know, market value of crops, livestock, and total agriculture product at record highs. Now, I feel like we know enough to, to know that, um, you know, this increase is not probably being seen equally across all agriculture sectors. Um, and I'm wondering if, if we have that information yet and how we should, what questions we should be asking when we see like, ooh, 30, 33% increase. That's, that sounds like things are going great. You know, are they, aren't they, are they more for some groups than others? You know, how do we kind of understand these numbers? You know, Aaron, that's a great question, and I think we know a little bit now, um, and a lot more will become clearer uh, from the uh, the information that's going to come out in May. I think as uh, in the preliminary numbers, we saw that yeah, there was this really big growth in um, nationally um, in overall farm sales, um, and it does point to the um, a couple of things. One, that that commodity prices for things like corn and soybeans and other uh, field crops have been really high in recent years. Um, and there have been uh, kind of record numbers of acres kind of brought into the production of those crops. And that has, um, that actually crops, uh, sales of crops um, have actually surpassed sales of, of livestock for the one of the first times in, in 30 or 40 years. Uh, so that is um, kind of a national trend um, that is significant. I think here in New York, um, you know, we, we still don't have the specific kind of commodity by commodity information. Uh, traditionally, about half of all the farm sales in New York uh, have been associated with uh, dairy and uh, production of milk and other, uh, you know, cheese, yogurt, other uh, processed products. Uh, so we don't really know if that continues to be the case, but certainly um, we would expect that, that dairy farms would, would continue to be a significant contributor to our farm sales. Um, and, and we did see last year that New York uh, retook the, um, the spot for this being the third largest milk producer in America. So I think that's something that we will be interested to take a look at when uh, the full census comes out in May. Yeah, we'll have to follow up with you then because I'd be curious to see how that shakes out. Well, what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about is is this change in new farmers. Um, I, you know, I was surprised that that to to hear that there's been a decrease because I feel like the general kind of media vibe out there, there's a lot of attention and a lot of energy going towards supporting new farmers and and, and you know people people transitioning from other careers into farming. So. Can you talk a little bit about kind of were these numbers a surprise to you? And, and then I would love to hear some, some of the strategies that American Farmland Trust is going to be employing to kind of facilitate entry for, for new farmers. 
Well, so a couple of quick things, Aaron. So when we talk about beginning farmers, um, for the United States Department of Agriculture, they define a beginning farmer as anybody that's been uh, uh, in agriculture for less than 10 years. Um, and a, a new farmer is somebody that's been in uh, farming for less than one year. Uh, so really the, the, the trends that I talked about were about those beginning farmers, and they aren't necessarily young. Uh, they, <laughs> they can include young people, but sometimes beginning farmers uh, include people that have all, you know, this is their second, third, or fourth career. Um, they're, they're military veterans. They're people who have immigrated here from other countries. They're, so there's a pretty broad um, cocktail of people that make up that beginning farmer category. Candidly, I was actually really surprised to see this drop in um, beginning farmers, and I'm really intrigued to better understand when the full census comes out um, kind of what, what we can learn about the trends of, of people in that category. What we know now are just some of the raw numbers where there was this 20% drop in beginning farmers nationally, uh, an 11% drop um, in New York. Now, again, in New York, the beginning farmer category still makes up about almost a quarter of all of our farmers are, are in that beginning farmer category. So it's still a significant um, category, but it's um, not as big as it was uh, five years ago. The other thing I'll point out is the the one place we have seen growth are at the the ends of the age spectrum. Uh, so there actually was an increase in the uh, number of young farmers in New York um, from the last census. Uh, so now um, 6% of all of our farmers in New York are under 35. And um, But again, the other end of the age spectrum also grew. So now um, almost 30% of our farmers are over 65. So we really, we've got people that are going to be transitioning out of agriculture in the next five to ten years, and then the, the, we really have got to work on yanking that next generation up onto land and have them be successful here uh, in New York. So what are some, so, uh, you know, I'm curious, like, what are some of the strategies for kind of, uh, on some of I would say, linking those two populations, where you, um, on one hand, have this group of retiring farmers, people who are going to age out um, of the farming practice, or, you know, to be a little dark, to pass away, then you have this group of young um, farmers who are emerging. And, and are, these, are these age groups being represented on like the same farm where there's a need for su- succession planning? Or are we seeing kind of a separation of like, you know, multi-generational farm families are, are, are transitioning and there's a need to kind of bring new, new blood, so to speak, onto the farm? Or, I mean, do you have a sense of that or... You know, Aaron, that is a really insightful question because one thing we don't know with these numbers is in some of these cases uh, where a farmer uh, that responds to the census and identifies that they're over 65, they may have someone on the farm either within their family or outside the family that's poised to take over. They may already be on the farm right now, but it's the older uh, member of the family that fills out the census. So we really, at this stage, we don't know how many of those farmers that are over 65 already have a next generation. So that is a really insightful question. Even if there is a next generation, though, um, we can't assume that that is going to be an easy process of transition because you're talking about, in many cases, within farm families, 
having to transition a business um, and the management of that business, and that can be rocky. Uh, but then you also have the the transfer of the farm itself, and that is that could be really challenging because uh, for many farm families, the farm is the biggest asset that they own, and if you have one child that wants to come home to the farm, um, and you have three other kids that are off doing other things, uh, figuring out how you divide up the farm assets or the, the, the family's estate um, without forcing that farm, one kid that wants to stay home on the farm to have to sell um, their, the farm to buy out their siblings, um, it's, it's really tough. And unfortunately, there are too many cases where farms have been lost to development because farm families uh, weren't ready uh, to, to make the, that transition. Um, so one of the things we're doing right now is we are uh, working with a network of partners to launch this new uh, uh, partnership in the Hudson Valley called the Hudson Valley FarmLink Network. Uh, so later this spring, you're going to see us um, launch a new website called Hudson Valley Farmland Finder, uh, which is going to help connect farmers looking for land with landowners uh, or farmers that have land available for lease or purchase. Um, and then we're going to be hosting a series of trainings um, for both farmers and that are facing that transition process uh, or farmers and landowners that are thinking about leasing um, land. And so we've got some great new programs that are coming up to try to tackle that those problems because that is like one of the biggest challenges or kind of barriers for new farmers is is land access is finding land even if the land is there knowing where it is and and then i think the infrastructure and the community around that um can you talk a little bit about kind of the the work you've done looking at at building some of those linkages or or what you see as kind of opportunities for some other groups or some future things to kind of step in to to help support young farmers in their search for land well it it you're absolutely right that that the cost of buying a farm is one of the primary barriers um to a farmer uh, to getting into agriculture. Um, you could imagine if you're on eastern Long Island, you could be talking about, you know, 50 to 100 to, you know, several hundred thousand dollars an acre uh, to buy land. And if you're going to buy, you know, uh, acres to su- uh, support a commercial farm operation, you could be talking about millions of dollars to buy a farm. Um, and so I'll give you a sneak peek. We're about to uh, release a new report about uh, beginning farmers across America and how they're finding success and in getting into agriculture. And it's not just a problem here in New York, um, that this is a challenge. Um, in some places, it's where beginning farmers are competing with other farmers that are already established and have uh, more money, uh, more uh, capital. Um, in other places, um, like in parts of New York, um, it's farmer, beginning farmers competing with real estate developers. Um, and it is just a really big challenge in, in finding ways to drive down the price of land so that farmers can afford to buy it. Uh, or if there's going to be uh, leases or other arrangements to get access to that land, making sure that they're uh, friendly to farmers and will actually allow a beginning farmer the, the comfort and the support that they need not only to get started but actually to be successful over time. 
That makes a lot of sense. Well, David, I know if folks want to find out more about what you guys are up to, they can visit the website, newyork.farmland.org. But aside from visiting the website and kind of reading up, what's the best way for folks to support your work? You know, that's a great question, Erin. At some level, there is something people can do every day, and being cognizant about thinking about where your food comes from and uh, really being thoughtful about buying locally and also looking at your community institutions, whether it be schools, hospitals, colleges, and really trying to push for getting um, more of our community institutions to buy locally. Um, But you've also got an incredible voice, and everyone does, to our political leaders that we need to make the protection of our farms in our farmland a priority, and we need to put public funding and we need to pass legislation to make that happen. And so certainly going to our website, looking us up on Facebook, there are many political voices that we need to help sing in this chorus. So please join us um, in this movement to help save the land that sustains us. David, thanks so much. It was great to have you on. We'll have to have you back um, soon and often. Aaron, it's always a pleasure. I love talking with you. So, folks, um, that website, again, is newyork.farmland.org. If you want to take a moment to look at the census results on your own, you can find them at www.eggcensus.usda.gov. The preliminary report is up, and then the full report will be available, I believe, uh, beginning of May. So check that out. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of The Farm Report. This, like all 35 of our weekly shows, are available for free. Uh, You can visit our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. If you believe in what we're doing, I hope you'll kick in a few bucks and become a member today by clicking that Donate tab. You can also find us on Stitcher Smart Radio and iTunes. So however you do it, stay tuned in, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.